Before we get started with the sermon, I want to first thank uh, everybody who helped out last Sunday. Uh, you may recall we uh, had a special Advent service with uh, our friend Jim Para from Holy Apostles Church in Arbutus, and we did milk and cookies after, thanks to the Millers and the Chastains and to BJ for helping with that. Um, and uh, just this past week, uh, we sent uh, this postcard out to about 15,000 of our closest neighbors. Um, and what? It is lovely, actually, yeah, and, and I, I, I did this. Um, <laughs> the painting, the design, it was all me. Um, uh, Kelly Gary is the name that I go by when I do my art. Um, but we, we did do, get a few hundred extra for people to grab to share with, uh, with friends, coworkers, neighbors. Uh, so there's some in the back, and then in the donut hall, I, I like donut hall. I'm going to go, I'm going, uh, that may be a little much. Because right? <clears throat> then you're basically setting yourself up. Like, what if one morning the donuts just aren't that great, right? So, you know, under promise, overperform. Yeah. Um, in the donut hall, there's a whole big stack of these. Please do grab some. Uh, uh, please uh, hand them to folks and invite them to our Christmas services. Um, as, as Joe mentioned, and by the way, uh, if you're not signed up on the Inu Hope, please do that. Joe has learned how to uh, embed links in the email, um, which is all kinds of entertaining. Uh, and uh, uh, if you are interested in helping out with the Christmas Eve service that New Hope is running, uh, then let Joe know. We'll, we'll be good to have some extra folks to greet people and so forth. And then if you're interested in helping with the Christmas Eve services that New Hope, uh, Christmas Eve service New Hope is having at 11 o'clock, uh, or with the uh, Christmas Day service at 10. Uh, both of those are going to be St. Hilda's services. You can let me know about that. You said that wrong. 11 o'clock is St. Hilda's. 11 o'clock is St. Hilda's. Yes, I did say that. I'm sorry. 11 p.m. New Hope at 6, St. Hilda's at 11. Right? And tonight and next Sunday, uh, St. Hilda's is hosting, along with our friends at St. Barnabas in uh, Sykesville, uh, we're hosting Solemn Evensong, which means that there's going to be some very old traditional style chanting uh, which is fun if you're into that sort of thing, and um, if you're not comfortable doing it, it's fun to listen to the people who are, uh, and there will be smoke. So um, you can look forward to that. So here in 1 Corinthians, Paul seems to be making no sense. Chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, verses 29 to 31 Starting at the end of chapter tw- uh, verse 29, Paul says, From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none, those who mourn as if they did not, those who rejoice as if they were not joyful, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as not engrossed in them. Which doesn't seem to fit a lot of the things that Paul was saying earlier on in chapter 7, does it? I mean, if we look at the beginning of chapter 7, Paul says, you know, because there is so much porneia, there's so much sexual immorality, then, you, you know, you people need to just sort of marry each other, right? I mean, those of you who are, who are uh, unable to control yourselves, then marry each other. And when you're married, be married. You, earlier on, he's talking about people who aren't married. He says people who aren't married should live like they're not married. But those who are married, you ought to live like you're married. That means you need to be intimate with your spouse. You can take some time by mutual consent and devote yourselves to prayer, but that should be a limited time. 
Because one of the ways that God enables you to live well and to honor God with your body is by being married to somebody that you can be having sex with. And then in verses 12 to 16, he talks about the the missional aspect of marriage. He says, look, if you're married to somebody who's not a believer, but that person wants to stay with you, then be married to that person. Be fully married to that person in every way. If the person is not willing to stick around because he's weirded out by this Jesus thing, then he can go in peace. But but look, be, be married. Married folk ought to be married. And then in verses 17 to 24, when he talks about people living in the situation that God has put them in, even saying the people who are enslaved, he says, look, I mean, you know, sure, if you're, if you're able to go free, great, but, but the main thing is to serve God where you are. And that doesn't mean that the situation you're in is therefore good. It just means that in whatever situation you're in, make the most of it. Do what you can with what you can do. Don't let what you can't do stress you out and serve Jesus in that. And you need to, to, in order to do that, you need to be in the moment that you're in. Don't constantly live in the past wondering what could have happened if you hadn't done things certain ways. Don't live in a future that you're hoping for if certain things fall in line. He's saying, be able to be present. I'm reminded of the song by Bob Frankie, Thanksgiving Eve, where he says it's so easy to dream of the days gone by. It's a hard thing to think of the times to come. But the grace to accept every moment as a gift is a gift that is given to some. What can you do with your days but work and hope? Let your dreams bind your work to your play. What can you do with each moment of your life but love till you've loved it away? And verses 25 to 28 seem like they're continuing in this vein. Paul says, so as for virgins, I I don't have a command from the Lord, but I'm going to give you my opinion as somebody who by God's mercy has been found trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it's a good idea for you to remain as you are. Are you bound to a woman? Do not seek to be set free. Are you free of a woman? Don't try to find a woman. But if you do get married, you haven't sinned. And if the virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. But those who marry are going to face a lot of troubles here in the flesh. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, my brothers and sisters, is that the time is short from now on. Those who have wives should live as if they have none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it weren't theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Well, how does that work? I mean, he just said, if, if you get married, you haven't sinned. And then he says, and those of you who are married should live like you're not married. What's up with that? I was in a really, really good uh, conversation. A small group of uh, folks got together this week. Uh, Darcy got me invited to this thing. And uh, at one point, uh, we're talking about 
Paul, and, and one of the people there said, I have a lot of problems with Paul. Uh, and, and I do too. I just, you know, I think I'm accurately locating the problems as being with me, not with Paul. Um, and so when we hit these spots where Paul is not seeming to make sense, then we have to try to figure out what on earth is going on. And there are some some possibilities here, and, and I will just say this is, this is a place where all, all the smartest people look at this and go, eh, not quite sure. There are some possibilities, though. It could be that there's a problem with the text. It could be that there were people who came along after Paul had written this who were part of a, an ascetic movement, A-S-C-E-T-I-C, ascetic movement, basically meaning people who are all about self-denial, who thought that Paul was not being appropriately careful to warn the Corinthians about the importance of self-control. And so they decided that Paul needed to say a couple things about that, and so they dropped that into the text. Um, uh, there was, in fact, and there are always, always have been ascetic movements within Christianity, and there certainly were some, especially we know back in the second century. But there's no evidence in the the textual uh, in the manuscripts, no no indication in the transmission of the manuscripts that that there was any instability in this text, that this text was anything but what it is. We're going to see later on there's a difficult passage where there is a question of whether the text was monkeyed with uh, during the years that it was transmitted between Paul and then copied and copied and copied and copied and translated and copied and translated and translated and copied and copied till we have it today, but that's probably not what's going on here. And it could be, uh, as at the beginning of chapter 7, that Paul is quoting a Corinthian slogan, right? That, you know, Paul, in chapter 7 at the beginning, says, Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to get married, is how the NIV translates it. Or, literally, it's a good for a man not, touch a, not to touch a woman. And then he goes on and talks about how men should be touching women. Um, he's not, like, confused. What Paul is saying is, I'm quoting you when I say it's good. I'm writing now. I'm going to address the matter you asked me about. That matter being the statement, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And, you know, this could well be uh, a common slogan of the time. It could be something Paul had taught them himself, but they were taken completely out of context. And so Paul's going to address that in in the rest of what he says. The, The problem with that is that there's nothing in this text that indicates Paul is quoting them. For one, this quote is longer than the other places where he quotes a little snatch of a slogan that, that, they are, uh, that they're using or perhaps that they had, had written to him. And there's nothing in the text that indicates that he is introducing anything like that. So that's probably not it. It, it could be Paul's just confused. I mean, really, like the guy got beat up a lot. Paul, I mean, this is, you know, before concussion protocols. Um, Paul got got uh, driven violently out of a whole lot of synagogues and towns in his day. So it could just be that he's confused. And it, another possibility is that, there is a, that he's using that word now about virgins in verse 25 in a, in a very technical sense. That, that's a controverted word, by the way. Around this time, of course, we... Uh, recall Isaiah's prophecy, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name 
Emmanuel, God with us. And our Jewish friends go, wait, 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 one minute. That's not what it says in Isaiah 7.14. The Hebrew word is Alma. And the Hebrew word Alma means a young woman. She might be a virgin. She might not. The word is Alma. To which we say, well, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was there about 200 years before Jesus, so it was done by a bunch of Jewish folks, that uses the Greek word parthenos to translate Alma. And parthenos means virgin. So it's not like we made this up. Um, but we're definitely going to run with it. As you see in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's like, see, this is fulfilling Isaiah. But every once, this is an aside, but seriously, every once in a while, somebody will come along like, this is some brand new revelation that people have been trying to keep secret. You, you, I mean, especially if you turn on like the History Channel. Right, which there's truth in advertising. Yeah. Anyway, so like people will will get on there and say, and this word doesn't mean that at all. <clears throat> Christians have been mistranslating this for all these years, and now we're just, no, you're not just learning about this. Christians and Jews have been arguing for about this for two thousand years. Nothing new. It's a fun argument to have. We'll keep it up. But it could be that when Paul says virgins here, that he means it in a specific technical sense. Maybe he's only talking about uh, girls who are betrothed, girls who have been uh, promised to another man. Another scholar says, no, actually what Paul is talking about here is men who are virgins, maybe betrothed, maybe not. Could be that He's talking about couples that are engaged and they're considering, maybe in consistent with the uh, encouragement of, of some of these ascetic movements, maybe they're saying, well, we, we would be engaged, but we'd be in a spiritual marriage to one another. So we wouldn't be consummating the marriage physically. We would just sort of live like we're married, except not live like we're married. And that would probably not work. Um, could be that he's talking here about a question that fathers have about what they're supposed to do with their unmarried virgin daughters. A very simple question which we answer in our household is, are you 35 yet? No, you may not date. And it could be that Paul's talking here when he talks about virgins, uh, and this is pretty unlikely that he's actually talking about people who are unmarried, but are are widows or widowers, and they're fairly young, and so there's a sense in which they're being thought of uh, as, in a sense, back in the state of of being virgins before marriage. But but all of these are are technical, and all of these, frankly, require you to, to make a whole bunch of things string together just right in order to fit the argument. I think far more likely is that Paul is simply torn. He's not confused. He's just torn. He's torn between what he'd like to see and what is. What he'd like to see, he'd like to see everybody in Corinth be celibate and be fully 100% devoted to serving God just like he is. He would like it if they got up in the morning and thought, how do I serve Jesus, not how can I stay married today? right? But, but he knows... That's not the case, because if you are married, when you get up in the morning, one of the first things you need to think is, how do I stay married today? Can I get a witness? Right? 
He's, he's, torn, he's torn between his heart for mission and his, his heart of a pastor, his care for his people. He would love it if, if they had nothing more on their minds than, than sharing Christ with their neighbors. But he also knows that some of them have a really hard time keeping their pants on. And so he's like, look, then get married to each other and you can live together, and that can be gratified, and that's not going to distract you from doing the work you need to do. More broadly, I guess he's conflicted. He's torn between ideals and reality. And I think there's a, a way in which the translation we have, if you are using NIV, and most of them do this, that don't, don't serve us very well when Paul says in verse 29, from now on those who have wives should live as if they had none. That's not really what he says. What he says is those who have wives should be as though they had none. Not that they should do or live a certain way, but but there's a different way of thinking that he would like for them to put their heads in. Especially, he says, in light of the present difficulties. Because right before this difficult part in 29 to 31, right before and after, he's talking about some sort of present difficulty. He says, what I mean, my brothers and sisters, in verse 29, is that the time is short. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who mourn as if they didn't. Those who rejoice as if they weren't joyful. Those who buy something as if it weren't theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as though not engrossed in them. For the world in its present form is passing away. Or, quite possibly and probably more likely, for this present way of things is going to be coming to an end. And we're not sure what exactly Paul's talking about there. He could be referring to a famine that hit the Roman Empire in, in AD 51. And in, in Corinth, on the one hand, folks would have been protected somewhat from famine because as a major trading center, they would have access to goods coming in from places in the empire that were able to grow food because people were sending them to places like Corinth so they could get sold off to places that needed them. At the other hand, the price of food would certainly have been very sensitive to commodity markets, and it could be that food would have been available but simply out of reach of the financial means of most people in Corinth, and scholars have pointed out that your common uh, laborer uh, was living very, very close to a bare subsistence level, and quite often would find himself unable to simply feed himself and his family. So it could be that that's the present difficulty that Paul's referring to. It could be the present difficulty is the fact that this is a church of just a few dozen people that is extraordinarily dysfunction, uh, dysfunctional and has enough problems that it takes Paul 16 chapters to work them out. If you've got a guy who is engaging in this kind of sexual immorality that is making his pagan neighbors blush, maybe you've got bigger things to worry about than whether you can get engaged to Susie. Right? That could be what's going on. Ultimately, I think it's about perspective. Later on, that same song, Bob Frankie says, there's sorrows enough for the whole world's end. There are no guarantees but the grave.
the life that you live and the time that you spend are treasure too precious to save. So what can you do with your days, your work, and hope? Let your dreams bind your work to your play. What can you do with each moment of your life but love till you've loved it away? We do what we can do. We don't let what we can't do bother us. And we do it all for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that we would always be people who when we search your scriptures, beg your spirit to illuminate them, to show us what it is that you have for us to learn from you. Pray that as we puzzle over difficult passages like this, that we would bear in mind the fact that by your spirit you inspired your servant Paul to write this. By that same spirit you illuminate our reading of it when we're alone and when we're together. I pray that we would be faithful to follow Paul's directives to keep things in proper perspective. To not hold so tightly to the things of this world that we are unable to follow where you lead us. I pray we would hold loosely those things that you are gracious to give us. Always with gratitude to you. Always with an awareness that they have their place in the order of our affections. I pray that by doing so, we would build here at New Hope a more healthy church. And by doing so, we would draw our neighbors to see the greatness of your word and your spirit among us. That this would be to your glory. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.